I thank you guys all so much for just the invitation to come and speak with you tonight. I've been a member here at Hope for the past four years um, and have loved every minute of it and yet have missed out on this precious jewel called refuge. So I'm so excited that I could come and just, you know, I know this is like cooler church than big church, right? But I got to go to the big one too. So um, I'm excited that I could come and just spend uh, some time with you. And uh, when Scott asked me to come and speak, he asked me to come and tell this story to you about Esther. And for those of you who have not read through the book of Esther in the Bible, I suggest you do it. It's real short. I mean, you could sit down and knock it out in no time. But the reason I tell you, even though we're going to talk about it tonight, the reason you need to go home and read Esther on your own is that there is so much inside this short book that there's a million different things that I could have spoken about tonight. And so I'm only going to hit on one of them, and there's like a billion other ones in there. So I'm going to ask you guys all um, the honor system to go home and read Esther. Uh, Check it out because there's just so much good stuff in it. And the guys are like, there's not good stuff in it. It's a girl book. I promise you there's good stuff in there. Okay, so, but tonight I want to experience a moment with you. And the moment is going to look a little something like this. Each of you are going to stand up, and you're going to stand in front of your chair with your feet about a foot apart, and your hands about a foot apart. That's what we're going to call your ready position. Okay. Everybody got that? This is your ready position. Okay. Um, so go ahead and get in your ready position now. Ready position, right? I mean, own the position, right? Take it seriously. Own the position. Okay. That's your ready position. This is my ready position. I got the cooler one. I know, but I'm in charge. Okay, so this is my, my ready position. In just a moment, I'm going to take my hands and I'm going to swish them in front of one another. Yes, the appropriate word for this is called swishing. Okay, swishing, in case you didn't know. So I'm going to take my hands, I'm going to swish them in front of one another. And when I do, your job is to clap your hands. Okay, there was no swishing. There was no swishing that happened. Okay, so you're supposed to be clapping your hands. The minute my hands get to this moment, Ooh, some of you are really good, okay? So as soon as my hands cross that moment, you're going to clap your hands, okay? Everybody in your ready position? Ready position? Okay, my ready position? Here we go. (laughs) Yikes, right? Okay, so your job is to clap your hands every time my hands swish in front of one another, okay? Here we go. Your ready position. Focus on the position. Here we go. Okay, okay. So the hands didn't actually cross one another, okay? So in order for you to experience, when we experience this moment together, it'll sound as though there is just one hand clap going throughout the room every single time, okay? So just one solid hand clap from all of you every single time my hands swish. Do we understand? Okay. I believe in you. Okay, let's get that straight. I believe in you. Ready positions. Ready position. Here we go. Yikes, right? Okay. So, I told some of you are in middle school and high school. Is that correct? We're not in elementary school. Just making sure. Making sure we can clap our hands. Okay. Okay. So, go ahead. Get in that ready position. Ready position. Here we go. Okay. So, you might have noticed. Scott, I'm, I'm not doing so well up here. Okay. So you might have noticed that there's a pattern to the way in which I'm swishing your hand, my hands. Go ahead and tell the person next to you what that pattern is. Okay. 
Everybody take a deep breath in with me. Let the breath out. Okay, here we go. Ready position. Focus. Ready position. Refuge. I believe in you. That's my motivational talk, okay? Here we go. This is not the sermon, okay? This is not the message. Here we go. Ready position. Take a deep breath. I know, you're all like, can't breathe, you're tense. I know. Here we go. Good job! Go ahead, give yourselves a round of applause. Take a seat. Ay, ay, ay. Okay. So, so now you know what it takes to experience a moment. You see, a moment passes by us so quickly. It's the snap of a finger. It's a blink of an eye. Before we know it, a moment is here and gone. We have been experiencing moments together ever since we were little children. I think back to the times that I spent in the sandbox, those moments where I stood up and declared the dreams that I had for my life. Right? In the sandbox. That's what you do. Okay, and then there were other moments. There were other moments like when I received the note from Nathan Baxter. (laughs) Okay? Nathan Baxter was like the coolest guy in the third grade ever. Okay? I was there standing by the tire swing with my posse, hanging out. And all of a sudden, this kid runs up to me and he hands me this note. And I open it and it says, Vanessa, would you be my girlfriend? But that wasn't it. At the bottom it said... Circle one, yes or no. Oh my gosh, my head was spinning. Oh my gosh, what was I going to do? So I took a pencil, a number two pencil from my girlfriend, right? And I'm like, okay, ladies, this is it. And I wrote the word maybe, and I circled it and handed it to a friend, to hand to a friend, to hand to a friend, to land in the hands of the one that I loved, right? Big moments, right? Moments that change everything. Moments. That's what this whole thing about Esther is all about. It's about these big moments that in an instant, as fast as you clapped your hands together, the world around you changes. The story of Esther starts when she's just a little girl. She's a little Jewish girl. She's beautiful, just absolutely beautiful girl, but she's an orphan. Both her mother and father are nowhere to be seen, and she's an orphan girl. Now, a Jewish orphan girl is not the place that you want to just be starting out. It means that there's very little hope for you in the future. Well, luckily for her, she had an uncle named Mordecai who came and said that he would rescue her. He would adopt her as his own. And so that was a huge rescue, a huge moment, right? Imagine this orphan girl. She's left with no one. In an instant, her parents are gone and her entire world changed. In an instant, she's adopted by her uncle and her world kind of changes again. Well, at the same time that all of these moments are taking place, we're going to switch over to the king. He's over here, and he's throwing this lavish party, showing off all of his goods to everybody, okay? All of his, the best wine he has, the, all of his best clothes, and he's having a little too much to drink with the fellas, and gets a little too carried away, and as he's showing off all these different things in his house, in his palace, he yells to his servants, go get my wife Vashadi, I want to show her off. Well now, Vashadi's throwing a party of her own with the, with the girls over here, and the servants come in and they say, hey, your husband wants to show you off, and she's like, I don't think so, right? He's not going to snap his fingers and expect me to walk in that room in front of his friends, oh no. So she's got a little bit of an attitude. So when that word gets back to the king, he's livid. 
And not just angry because she won't come. He is so embarrassed. Can you believe it? All of the most noble people are gathered together. He's made a request saying that he rules over all these things. And yet even his wife won't obey him. And so he decides he's going to dismiss Vashadi altogether from being his queen. And he's going to go on a hunt for a new one. So he takes off and sends out all of his servants to go and find the most beautiful women and pull them together. And they're going to start going through beauty treatment. So what we have here is America's Next Top Model. Okay, so go with me there. Okay, so America's Next Top Model. All these beautiful women are pulled together. Well, of course, the beautiful Jewish girl gets pulled into that crowd. She's a little bit older now. And for this year, for a whole year, they're going to undergo beauty treatments. They're going to just go through lotions and potions and all sorts of things for a whole year. Now, some of you girls are thinking like, that sounds like a dream come true. What's the problem? Right? Um, And this is the problem. So then, next top model gets turned into the bachelor. Okay? So now, we have all these girls living together in a house, in a harem, and they're all competing for this one guy. And this one guy is a king, so that would make her a queen if she got chosen by this guy. So you're still thinking, girls at least, uh, what's the problem? (laughs) Right? That sounds great. The problem is this. The girls undergo all these treatments. They commit themselves for a year. And then they go and they spend one night with the king. And if he's not pleased, he throws them out. That, that's a moment for you. Right? That's a moment for you. All of a sudden, you, you commit your, your a whole year to this. You dream up all these things that could be. And, and then all of a sudden, you go spend one night with the man. And he kicks you to the curb and says, go back to the harem and hang out with the other girls. All of a sudden, I think that if I were in that situation, when my name got called, my stomach would be in knots. I would not want to go. The moment comes when Esther's name is called. And this whole time, Mordecai's meeting with her, and he's giving her helpful hints along the way. And he says, don't tell them that you're Jewish, because that's not going to go over well. Okay, don't, don't tell them that you're Jewish. So she, she keeps that a secret the whole time. Well, it says throughout the the story of Esther that everywhere she went, she received favor. And it doesn't say she she won their favor, because to win their favor, she would have had to do something, right? She would have to do something that would set her apart and show herself off. But she didn't win their favor, she just received it. So that means simply she walked into the room and she received favor. Perhaps favor that only God could give someone. So when she's getting ready to leave to go and see the king, one of the the servants says, do you want to take anything with you, a pretty necklace or or something to set you apart? And she says, no, I'm okay. I'm just going to go. She walks in to the king. She spends her evening with the king, and the king says, that's it. She's won my favor. The hunt is over. This little Jewish girl has won the favor of the king, but he doesn't know she's Jewish. So her world has completely changed. This orphan girl is now the queen of the entire citadel of Susa. Huge. Well, this whole time, there's this kind of right-hand guy named Haman to the king. And Haman, every time he walks by Mordecai, Mordecai refuses to bow to him. And he's kind of got an ego trip going on. And so because Haman doesn't, or because Mordecai doesn't bow to him, Haman's mad. 
at this guy, Mordecai. And, and because he's mad, he's decided that he is going to send the, and he's going to destroy all Jewish people. Uh-oh. All of a sudden, the queen's Jewish, which means all of her family is Jewish, which means her entire, entire people group is about to get knocked out. Mordecai had done something a little earlier besides not bowing to Haman. He had overheard some people speaking about wanting to get rid of the king and kill him. So he reported that to Esther. And Esther told the king and told him that Mordecai did it. And so this little, little bug was kind of in the king's ear about this guy Mordecai, but he never did anything about it. So there comes this moment. All of a sudden, the Jews are going to die because Haman says so, because he is so mad at Mordecai simply for not bowing to him. Esther has a big moment because Mordecai pulls Esther aside and he says, do you think that you've come into this royal position for such a moment as this? That question carries so much weight. You see, Esther could have been made the queen at any other time, and it really wouldn't have mattered. But she came into this royal position for such a time as this. And to us, it's no big deal, right? Okay, go tell the king. You're the queen now. Go tell the king not to kill the people, right? She still hasn't told him that she's Jewish. And so she has to think, what am I going to do? You see, to beckon the king, when he hasn't called for you, is enough to put you to death. So if she were to go to him, she might get killed. If she were to go to him and tell him that she is Jewish, he's already planning on killing all the Jews. It's like a lose, 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 lose situation. So she has this moment. I think that a lot of us have Esther stories. Esther stories, these, these moments that we look at that... You know, if God could just redeem, right? If you were, if you were in the service this weekend at Big Church, um, we heard a word called redemption. And God so badly desires to redeem these things that have happened in our lives, to use them for a story that we couldn't possibly write ourselves. And I started, as I started to read this story, I started to think of my Esther story. My Esther story started when I was eight years old. When I was eight years old, I was eight years old just like you. I liked to run, jump, skip, play, play capture the flag and Red Rover and things like that with my friends out in the front yard in the grass because I'm from Michigan, just saying. So we used to play outside, do all those great things. When I was eight years old, I had these big dreams. I had these dreams of being um, a rock star, a superhero, maybe Captain America. Um, a rock star, a superhero, an astronaut, maybe, if I was feeling very ambitious, right? These were the things I declared in the sandbox. These were the dreams that I had. And at the age of eight years old, I experienced a moment that my whole world changed. A moment that made those dreams seem like they were a million years away. And then those little dreams, maybe you've had them, those little dreams of getting your driver's license, the little dream of going to prom with Nathan Baxter, the cutest guy in the third grade, all grown up, right? The dream of, of going out and doing the things that I just desired. And those, all those dreams seem so far away. In one moment, in one finger snap, in one 
eye blinking. The whole world changed. I was eight years old and I had come in from playing outside with all of my friends. And I, day after day, I just came in and felt awful. I was just so sick and exhausted by the end of the day. And this went on for a couple of weeks. And finally, my parents said we needed to go to the doctors to hear what was, what was wrong and what they needed to do. And there was a moment I was sitting in the doctor's office. Well, they had run some tests and me and my parents went back to the doctor's office. And I'll never forget that moment when the doctor got down on eye level with me. And he said, Vanessa, we figured out what's wrong. You've been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer called mycosis fungoides. It's a cancer that has only ever been found in African-American men over the age of 50. (laughs) I fit the bill. They had no idea what to do. They had never seen this disease in a little girl before. The treatments, they had no idea even what existed for that. And I was sitting in eight years old. I didn't understand the ramifications of cancer. But what I did understand was that all of a sudden those dreams were gone. Because I looked up into the eyes of my mom and my dad. My mom has the answer to every question. And my dad can solve any single problem. But they started to cry. And it was at that moment that all those dreams started to go further and further away. Esther heard the news that her mother and father were no longer here. And all the hopes and all the dreams that she had started to go further and further and further away. How could God use a story like mine to do anything of significance in the world? Maybe you've been there. Maybe your story isn't, isn't something like an illness or the death of a loved one. Maybe it's, it's past sin in your life. Maybe your story is, you know what? Had I not been hanging out with that group of people, man, that moment changed everything. Had I not decided to be alone with that guy or with that girl, man, that moment, it would have changed everything. You see, we each have these stories of this Esther story of if that moment weren't here, oh, perhaps I could do something or be something or have something to offer. But that's the power of God. Because once you go through a situation like that, once you've committed a sin that is against what God has for you, if you commit that to him, if you commit your life to him, he'll redeem that and he'll use it for something so powerful that you wouldn't even be able to dream up the story. It says in the Bible that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can possibly conceive what God has planned for those who are called according to his purpose. God wants to use the stories that seem impossible because that shows off how God he is. The story he wrote through Esther's life is one that changed the course of history because Esther committed herself to what God called her to. Mordecai had told her, do not show off your identity as a Jewish girl until you know it's the right time. When he confronted her, he said, you have been called to this royal position for such a time as this. Your royal position might be student. Your royal position might be son or daughter. Your royal position might be big brother or be big sister. What makes that royal 
because God's called it for this moment right now. You see, we wake up on a daily basis and we think that we just happen to go to this school and attend these classes and happen to sit by this friend. When all along, God's saying, no, I've called you to that school. I've placed you to have this order of classes. I've placed you to this royal position to sit next to this person in this class. But what happens? We forget to get in that ready position. And all of a sudden, God says, go. And what am am I supposed to do? And we're lost. We miss it. But not Esther. Esther committed herself to knowing her God. She committed herself to live in that ready position. In fact, after Mordecai told her this and said, you've been brought here for a great, significant purpose. Her royal position had nothing to do with being queen. Her royal position had everything to do with being appointed by God. And so Esther, in that moment, looks at Mordecai. She gets it. And she says, Mordecai, go fast and go pray. And I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to go fast and I'm going to go pray. I'm not going to go charging in to the king's castle. I'm not going to go and do this according to how I want to do it. I'm going to live in that ready position. I'm going to go spend time with God so that I know his voice. I'm going to go spend time with God so I know his character. So that if I think I'm supposed to do something and it goes against the character of God, I'll know better not to do it. I'm going to go and spend time with God and fast and pray so that I understand his love for me. She didn't go in there with her own strength to go accomplish what she needed to do. She knew her God. She said, go fast and pray, and I'm going to go and fast and pray. And it was then that she decided she was going to go and see the king. The king did not call for her, but she boldly and confidently walked into the king's presence and gave a response that only God could have spoken through him. And he said, what is it that you want? I'll give you half the country if you want to. Seriously? Like, come on, right? I mean, there's a million things. He, he should be putting her to death. And he's saying, I'll give you whatever you want. Just ask it and I'll give it to you. And her request is this. Come and have dinner with me. Say what? Right? She says, come and have dinner with me and bring your friend Haman. Remember Haman, the one that wants to kill all the Jews? Bring him with you too. I could have picked a better dinner party, just saying. So she says to these two guys, come with me. They decide to meet up for a dinner party. So I'm like, all right, here it is, right? Reading through the book of Esther, I'm telling you, it put you on the edge of your chair. And I'm like, okay, so here she is at the dinner party. Go for it, Esther. And she says, have dinner with me again. Like nothing like pulling, drawing out the suspense to a good story. I mean, like you had him there. What are you waiting for? She's in the ready position. She's waiting for God to say go. And guess what? When they were at the dinner party before, he hadn't said it. So she didn't do anything. She had a wonderful dinner party with them, sends them away. Asks them to come and have dinner again and they come. And when she does, before they come actually, The king thinks, as he's in his room alone, he says, I wonder what we did to honor that man, Mordecai, who saved my life. 
So that was what she needed to wait for, right? She needed to wait for that moment where, where all of a sudden the king got it, that he realized the value of these people. And so he's, he's asking, what did we ever do to honor him? So he asks Haman, which this is where it gets funny. Because he says, he says to Haman, um, Haman, what would you do for a man who has been so honorable and so loyal? And right, all these things. And Haman's like, dude, he's talking about me. I would hook him up, right? And so that's what he tells the king. Like, totally hook him up, dude. Like, I'd give him my robe. I'd like go announce him to the city. Like all the great things he's done. And he said, that's a great idea, Haman. Go do that for Mordecai. Mordecai wouldn't even bow to him. And now all of a sudden he had erected a, a, a place to hang Mordecai. Haman had. Because he was so ready to get rid of all the Jews. He had already built where they were going to get rid of Mordecai. And Haman goes and he does it. And I could just imagine the look on his face. Like I cannot believe I'm doing this right now. This is awful. And, and this is as they're getting ready to have dinner, right? They needed that second night where, where Esther says, I'm, I'm a Jew. And I'm going to ask you to free my people my, my uncle Mordecai, he's a Jew. I'm a Jew. Would you just let, let our people go? And, and King says, of course I will. Of course I will. And because Haman came up with the idea, we're going to hang him instead. Right? That's the twisted part to the end of the story. But, but, it's the story of how God redeems moments. How God uses these moments that are so small were so big, and he uses them for his glory in a way that we could never even imagine possible. I remember the moment when I was in the doctor's office with my mom and dad, and this time it's several months later. I remember the moment when the doctor walked into that office and he got down on his hands and knees and he said, Vanessa, I do not know how and I do not know why, but there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. That's a God moment. It's a moment that I couldn't write in my own history, that it would take a, a huge, huge God to write a story like that. You see, in the, the scope of, of going through that journey, my family had invited hundreds and thousands of people to go on this journey with us. He had, they had sent out prayer cards all across the country asking people to join us in prayer. And those people saw a glimpse of God that they would have never seen had my parents not lived in that moment that God called them to. But I had to ask myself, what would have happened if that moment would have never ha- taken place in my life? Right? What, what if Esther was never an orphan? Perhaps she would have never even been able to go off and... and go through the the Bachelor series to win the king? Perhaps what if Vishati would have never refused the king that day? She would have been queen when all this was going on, right? History would have completely changed. What would have happened if, if I would have never been diagnosed with cancer in the first place? And let me tell you what a cool, cool, cool God we serve. Because I started to think about it, I would never be in Las Vegas Because it was that journey of going through cancer and that miracle that God performed that gave me the open door to go in churches, in schools, in communities across the country and around the world and share the miracle of God. 
the miraculous things that he's capable of. It's brought me into situations where I've sat face to face with women, sec- women who have been rescued from the sex trafficking industry. It's that miracle that brought me face to face with African refugees and allowed me a platform to speak into the life of women and allowed me the platform to go into schools and share a hope that they might never ever hear. These moments, they're huge, but if you're living in the moment and you're not in the ready position, the moment means nothing. Had Esther been called to be queen at any other time, she just would have been another queen. But she was living in that ready position. She was living ready for God to use her. So my question for you is to look back at these moments that God's done in your life. Look at these moments that he's invited you into that in the midst of it look like they're messy. And maybe in the past they look like mistakes and just something you would have never planned for yourself. Maybe it's a situation you are in no control over at all. But ask yourself, are you living in the ready position? Are you ready for God to redeem that situation to do something bigger in your life than you ever thought possible? Because God has a story that he wants to write with your life. And when you can look at those, those moments as these miraculous things that God has put together, I like to think of it when I was a little girl. I like to go outside when my dad had um, decided he would play bubbles with me. Okay, go with me. He liked to play bubbles, and I like to play bubbles. He didn't really like it, but I like to play bubbles. And so he would come out and play bubbles with me, and he would pull that wand out of the bubbles, and he would blow it up into the air, and I would run around, jumping, seizing, reaching, and clapping as hard as I could and going as fast as I could to grasp as many of those bubbles as possible before they hit the ground. That's the picture that's created for me of what God does. He, he, he blows out, he breathes out these moments for you to live in. And he gets so much glory and so much joy out of the fact that we run chasing and leaping to be a part of his moments, grasping them in our hands and squealing in delight when we experience him fully. But some of us are just standing out there watching the bubbles go. And we're missing out on just the rich, rich life that God's called us to, to surrender these moments to him, to give them to him, to live for them in those moments. So I'm gonna ask if the the band will come up and play. And just as they do, I'm just gonna ask you to reflect on the moments that God's given you. Because I'll confess, there's some moments that I've missed. I remember standing at Subway and The people in front of me looked as though they could just use a blessing. They were frustrated with one another. It looked like the economy had gotten the best of them. And they were standing there with one another. And I felt this prompting inside of me, Vanessa, go pay for their meal. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm broke. And I felt this prompting inside me, go pray for them or go pay for their meal. It'll bless them. Live in this moment, Vanessa, go. And I felt like I had a child wrapped around my leg that wouldn't shake off no matter what I did as God just poked and poked in my heart. And I remember that day being the blockage in the heartbeat of Christ. I remember that day as though it were yesterday when I watched that couple turn around and walk out of subway knowing that I did not do what God called me to do. And 
that was four or five years ago. But I've seen how faithful God is when he calls us to do something. I've seen the fruit that comes from living for him. So live in those moments. God wants to accomplish big things through the royal position that he's called you to. Let me pray for all of you. God, you are a big God. Bigger than we could ever imagine. And God, you can see the beginning and the end of our life at the same exact time. God, you know how the story ends, God, and we do too. And we just pray, God, we pray that we would use those moments that you give us, God, those sweet moments that you've called us into. God, let our eyes be open. May we be found in that ready position, ready to serve you, ready to go where you say go and ready to stay, God, when you say stay. God, give us the heart of Esther that we would wait on your go before we move, God. And that we would surrender our lives to you so that you may redeem them and use them for a story we could never imagine, God. We give ourselves to you. In your name I pray, amen.